Hi everyone. So the issue that has been dominating our lives of late for the past uh, few months is of course the coronavirus and um, I recently read this amazing article um, from the Atlantic.com and uh, it's titled America's racial contract is killing us and uh, there's a great quote from the article it's called one it says once the disproportionate impact of the epidemic was revealed to the American political and financial elite, many began to regard the rising death toll less as a national emergency than as an inconvenience. And so that is what um, we're going to talk a little bit about today, just about the impact of racism in this crisis. Um, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Shwana again uh, if you recall she is an American nurse um, and uh, we had a great discussion on the impact of COVID-19 on the black community I just want to say thank you so much Shwana for uh, your insight into this important issue and for your work as a nurse uh, helping those uh, that are in need in this very difficult time so, uh, yeah, it was a great talk. Please um, enjoy. I am really worried about the um, the food, our our um, the food industry right now. Mm -hmm. Because as the amount of employees that are testing positive for um, COVID increases, which means some of them were going to work sick. So now you have what? What are we? Do, what are we doing about that? Those are little things that we aren't. Those are things we aren't addressing. Because if the workers are sick. How sanitary can you really keep mm -hmm. the area? Yeah. It, it does seem to be sort of um, a loophole in their plans. Like I know it's uh, they're trying to get protective equipment for um everyone who's working in the front lines, but it does seem like here in Canada too, um, more and more like in the grocery stores, you're just hearing of um, the staff not being sick. Um, sometimes they have like, you know, notices posted on the doors of the stores, you know, just so you know, when employees been tested positive and they're no longer here and, you know, they've been, the store has been cleaned or whatever the case may be. So you know, those are the kinds of signs that we're seeing, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of, it's concern about, you know, even getting food in from like the factories, production places, farms, uh, just having, keeping that chain open so that people can, you know, have what they need. Well, and then I'm looking at, okay, so in St. Joseph, Missouri, there's uh, Trump uh, Triumph Foods. Mm -hmm. Triumph Foods is a meat packing plant. 373 of its employees have tested positive mm -hmm. for coronavirus. They were asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. So there's no telling how long they've had the mm -hmm. virus and they're handling food production. So this this meat is is going mm -hmm. out. I mean, it's going out. So mm -hmm. what? How are they working to protect that? Especially now that 
um, we have departments that are closed. The Food and Drug Administration aren't really going to these plants checking standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, and the shortage of tests as well, especially like, of course, they're, you know, saying these people didn't have symptoms. But I think people that are working and preparing food, um, you know, should be getting tested just so that, you know, they're not helping to spread um, the virus as well. But I know everything I'm seeing on the news is just saying that in order to effectively sort of contain it, we need to test. We need like just testing, testing, testing is what they're saying. And uh, it seems like uh, that's not really happening right now. So it. And it's, it's not okay. It just in, in, in the mm -hmm. U S let's just take, um, there, there was a, a study done on 115 meat and poultry processing facilities in 19 states. Mm. Approximately 130,000 workers at these facilities, 4,000 out of 130,000 workers, 4,913 COVID cases, 20 deaths have occurred. Wow. Yeah, it's and we have no standards mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm and then when you take into account the when you take into account the produce, mm. the people who are actually picking the mm -hmm. produce who are nine times out of ten not American citizens. Mm -hmm. So they really have no access to health care. So how are we even keeping account for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. And the thing is, um, people need to to work um, to in order to, you know, provide for their own families. So it's I, the the planning around this is just I'm amazed that we're not there is no planning for this it just seems that yeah there's all this talk about you know going back to normal um, trying to get things back as they were and it just seems like the worst case scenario that they should be doing that And um, especially when it comes to something as important as, you know, having the food production. Um, and it, it's interesting, you know, it's really caught my attention as well, just on the farmers as well, just relying on, um, you know, people that are not American citizens to be able to, you know, run their farms. And then these people are, you know, possibly sick, well, and not having access to health care, which is also very important for, you know, making sure that we uh, try and stop the spread of the virus. So, yeah, it's absolutely, um, yeah, it's just a very unfortunate set of circumstances and just, it seems like there isn't a plan um, to try and, you know, get this together. Because it, in all honesty, shelter in place is a luxury for the wealthy. Mm -hmm. Not everybody starts in the same position. So a real public health plan would think about the people who don't have don't, they don't have the luxury of staying at home mm -hmm. and the prop uh, uh, what what is so infuriating is this became a pandemic by people who have the luxury to travel um but the disease decimates 
vulnerable communities. Mm -hmm. Two thirds of the population lives in urban areas. Mm -hmm. So the majority, um, just, just in the United States alone, the majority of the population is in nine states. And those people have no recourse because there's not a plan for them. Because most of those people who are living in those urban areas are considered critical workers. They have the least amount of health coverage. They have the least amount of transportation. Most of them are, on, most people are on public transportation. This is, this is not the first pandemic that we've had. It won't be the last, but it would seem that at some point, the world has to start learning from their from the history mm -hmm. in in just general the black people and latino people in new york are dying twice the rate of white people mm -hmm. in chicago 70% of the viruses virus related deaths are black mm -hmm. and that's double their share of the population mm -hmm. in Chicago in Wisconsin it's the exact same thing so that tells us that black people and Latino people are the ones that are providing the essential services they are the ones who are lacking just think and from my house I live in a okay neighborhood but the store is two miles away mm -hmm. for my mom the store is 13 miles away wow yeah for the people in the neighborhood mm -hmm. It's at least five to six miles away. The only way to get to the grocery store is you have to drive there or you're going to take a long, a long walk or you're going to get on public transportation. Mm -hmm. So that is why our communities are the most vulnerable, mm -hmm. but there's no plan for us. No. Yeah. It's uh, very important i really like um what you said about just the plan of sheltering in place is a luxury it's absolutely a luxury and and that's the um you know the only plan that's been proposed and that what we're seeing is exactly what you've been saying is like that the um the people of color that are providing these frontline services are the ones that are being hardest hit um, by the virus, which was predicted um, ahead of time, but there is no plan um, to address, um, you know, the these con the concerns in um, this community. And in fact, um, some states are actually, you know, even though they are getting this advice, are just, you know, forging ahead with the same uh, same sort of plan. And it's. Uh, you know, having to travel by public transit just to get necessities is a huge, um, you know, problem that should be getting addressed. And it's not. And it's the same um, here, like um, in Ontario, people are trying uh, to manage it in more um, here in Canada as well. But, you know, these are the kinds of concerns um, that our government is facing. The fact that, um, you know, people do have to to travel for this they're trying to enforce social distancing on buses which is you know really hard people have to get to work on time and they're not going to wait for the next bus just so that you know they can sit a little further away from somebody they have places to be so it, it's just you know it's causing so much trouble and um i think uh 
that, yeah, there needs to be a more of a focus on the people that need to get out there, the people that are sheltering in place, you know, that's good and it's working to flatten the curve. But I think more attention needs to be focused, like you were saying, on the people that have to go out there. And I'm just, the reason I'm so focused on New York is because it was, is such a center for the emergence of this virus. Mm -hmm. And so it is a good area to base the country on because most often Black people are segregated into communities. Mm -hmm. And just in New York, 33% of the hospitalized patients are Black. Mm -hmm. But there are only 18% of the entire population of New York. Mm -hmm. 8% wow. of the hospitalized people were Hispanic. Mm -hmm. They're less than 11% of the population of New York. Mm -hmm. So in New York, the death rates are like 92, 92 to 93 per every 100,000 cases, 92.3 are Black. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we have to really think about most most minority communities are multi-generational in the household. So there's no, there's normally several different age groups that's living in one household. Mm -hmm. um, then you have the residential segregation. So they're all populated into one singular area that's separate from the rest of the areas of the city. They are furthest from, those areas are normally located furthest from the medical facilities and the grocery stores. There's normally, you can normally find a liquor store on every corner, but if you want a fresh fruit or vegetable, you have to go some miles to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, there, this population is overrepresent, over, overrepresented in jails and prisons and detention centers. So there's that is a another place where social distancing is impossible. Mm -hmm. Then the critical, like I said, the critical workers are mostly minorities, and they they lack even paid sick leave. Mm -hmm. Then you have the stigma for systemic inequality, the, the stigma for systemic inequalities. Most, most of the time when um, people end up in the hospital or in the doctor's office, they aren't treated with the same level of urgency mm -hmm. as other populations. Mm -hmm. Then you have you have to address just implicit bias in the medical in the healthcare industries. Mm -hmm. you, 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 there are things that they will try to save one person's life that they would not do for another person, and that's just. That's just the way it is. It has always been that way. Mm -hmm. So you have to, I really want our communities to start really looking at the numbers. And we are going to have to figure out for ourselves how to keep our community safe. Because at this point, we don't have a spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. I I couldn't agree more. I think 
um, yeah, I think the numbers are speaking for themselves about uh, the hardest hit um, communities from from the pandemic. And I think, yeah, it's um, it's not like you were saying uh, the amount of treatment and you know the access to um, necessities and all these kinds of things have been problems uh, for uh, community like our community this entire time and it's you know the pandemic is just sort of exposing these um, inequalities uh, that's happening in the country um, much more but you know they have been there the unequal treatment of you know people of color that they are receiving when they are getting care um you know due to racial bias and racism you know these are the kinds of things that people have been talking about but it's just getting highlighted again with the pandemic so yeah i i don't uh it does make me worried because i i wonder um what's going to happen to change this. Um, like you said, you know, we need a spokesperson. Uh, you just wonder um, what's going to happen, how this is going to turn out, or for lack of a better word, but, you know, how, what's going to happen. We need change right now. So it just, you know, how is that going to happen? It's a, it's a very difficult, it's very, it's very difficult because there's just going, there's just not very many people that Black people trust. It just isn't. Mm -hmm. And even in the, the so-called Black leaders, which that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's hard to, you, you don't even trust them. Mm -hmm. Because you, it's very hard to trust when there's always an agenda and there's always an agenda. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of the time, the agenda is selfish in in regards to that person and not necessarily for the community at large. And the community itself is going to have to really get real, start addressing some of these problems ourselves. Because if we're looking for somebody to step in and do it for us, it's not going to happen. It mm -hmm. hasn't happened in 200 years. Mm -hmm. 200 plus years and it's not going to happen now yes yeah yeah I just I'm um, thinking of you know the privilege you know white privilege of you know the people that have been protesting um, you know their uh, you know, the stay at home orders and, you know, having their reopen protests and just uh, what that would look like if those were people of color, um, you know, demanding, you know, their rights, you know, to have access to, you know, adequate protection and, you know, resources. And it would just be absolute, um, you know, insanity it would just you know knock over well um and i i think that yeah i i'm not sure like you said it's very difficult to you know get attention and it has been it's been hundreds of years to have equality and i just you know you would hope that in these times of you know human life just being at risk that people would you know make sure that it would really highlight how equality is important, but it's just not turning out that way. So I always try and be optimistic that people would see these numbers, would see the hard data and facts and, you know, have action. And um, yeah, unfortunately it's not right now turning out that way. 
Well, the the problem is the thinking behind equality. I think that people are misconstruing the exact definition. Hello? Shwana, I think I... Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, now I can. Sorry. Okay. You got Sorry that. about that. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> so what I'm thinking is they're not thinking of equality the same, the same way as I'm thinking of it. Because when mm -hmm. I look, I look at the way people are treated just low lower having a lower economic lower economic resources mm -hmm. because the reason poor white people are so give so much pushback on this idea of white privilege is because they don't see the privilege mm hmm what they aren't seeing is that picture at the courthouse mm. where everybody's carrying guns and everybody's yelling in the policeman's face and pointing their fingers in their face and somebody pushed one of them and nothing happened. And, you know, that is what we mean by mm -hmm. inequality. Mm -hmm. What they see as inequality is, well, I don't have a job either. Mm -hmm. So until they can recognize the systemic inequality, because that's what I, that's what we're fighting. Systemic inequality, not necessarily I want to be free. This is America inequality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the disconnect is coming in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those images of uh, those people just, you know, standing there, you know, holding, you know, their firearms, it's just it's a poster for white privilege. It's like the definition of it. Um, and I think that's, you know, a hundred percent that um, that's what we're fighting here. That's the kind of inequality that systemic inequality is what, uh, what we're fighting. Also what I didn't really understand, what I really didn't understand or get is even when it comes to grocery stores. So the little grocery store in our neighborhood, in, in San Antonio, we kind of have a grocery store monopoly. So we have HEB. That is our grocery store. Mm -hmm. it, and the only other grocery store here, we only have the other major grocery store here is Walmart. Mm -hmm. So what I noticed that in the lower income areas, I'd go and look for fruit and fruits and vegetables. And the amount of fruits and vegetables offered in the grocery stores in the lower economic communities than the fruits and vegetables offered in the richer neighborhoods. In the richer neighborhoods, the produce was fresher. In the richer neighborhoods, mm. it was plentiful. So if I wanted an artichoke, mm. I have to go to the other side of town to get an artichoke because they're not selling that over here. 
If mm-hmm. I want butternut squash, I have to go to the other side of town to get a butternut squash because they don't have that over here. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of inequalities that I'm talking about. I'm mm-hmm. talking about those things that people take for granted that they think is offered everywhere and it's not. If I go on the other side of town, if I want it, this is this is what I what I told my friend and she had to look and figure it, it she had to figure it out. When I go, this is the definition of white privilege. When you come to my side of town, there's no inconvenience for you at all. Anything that you wanted to buy, Mm. you will be able to find. If I go to your side of town, I'm not going to find hair care products for me. I'm not going to find skin Mm -hmm. products for me. That's Mm -hmm. only on this side of town. Everywhere else, it's not, it's non-existent. And that's what your privilege provides you. Anywhere you go, any service that you want or anything that you need is readily available to you. For me, I don't have that luxury. Yes. It's... um. It's the framing of the uh, the world, or it's the framing of an area, and what they see as you know normal is framed in whiteness. Like it's um, a very glaring example, and it's the same thing um, my friends and I talk about in uh, Canada. There's Um, you know, a pharmacy here um, that, you know, it's just on, you know, readily available. So when you go there, if you need, you know, hair products, it was a big deal, you know, maybe 10 years ago, they started carrying uh, black hair products. And uh, my friends and I were saying, it's hilarious to go down like the shampoo aisle. And then there's like always at the very end of the aisle, there's a tiny little strip of, you know, the, you know, black hair products. And it's just, you know, they just started carrying it. And of course, we were grateful for it because it's a huge chain and it's literally everywhere. And you didn't have to now make a special trip to get what you needed. But it's just the epitome of segregation to see it there tucked in the corner of the, you know, the black hair care products. So um, those are the kinds of things that, uh, yeah, you have to explain to somebody, this is the kind of, you know, privilege. That exactly. And the killer mm-hmm. part is I still won't buy hair care mm-hmm. products from that store. I will still mm-hmm. go into the neighborhood mm-hmm. to the only place that used mm-hmm. to sell black hair care products. And I will still mm-hmm. buy all of my hair care products from them. Mm-hmm. Supporting a black owned business is so important. E- and, and not necessarily I... even the black owned businesses. I posted a picture of a, mm-hmm. a sign inside of a corner store that's been in the neighborhood since I was mm-hmm. five. The parents lived above the store. Yes. They you know, they've mm-hmm. been a part of the community ever since I can remember. Mm-hmm. When it was a mm-hmm. crisis or somebody didn't have money, they didn't tell them, no, you mm-hmm. couldn't eat. They they kept a little mm-hmm. ledger and then you pay them as you could and they never told anybody no. Yes. The son now lives above the grocery store with his family. And the parents have, they've moved Mm -hmm. on, you know, they've moved into a different Mm -hmm. area, but the son and his family now resides above that same grocery store. Mm -hmm. The Wahings. I've watched the, I have watched (laughs) them. I have watched the husband 
walk groceries to elderly people who didn't have transportation to get there. They just called the store mm -hmm. and he would just bring it to them. Didn't charge him anything. Mm -hmm. I've watched mm -hmm. them make soup for somebody who was sick. So just because mm -hmm. it's not for me, it's not supporting black owned businesses. For me, it's supporting businesses mm -hmm. who support you. Black, white, or otherwise. A hundred percent. It's it's such a big deal to have that um, support. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it helps people. Like, it changes lives. And, um, you know, for me, it's funny that there's a Jewish-owned um dentist that I go to and it's like an hour uh and a half away from me it's like in my childhood neighborhood that you know but I still go to this day like twice a year um because you know when my dad didn't have a job they still provided um you know dental services to us and you know that meant something because I knew what a relief it was for my parents and still you know now I go there and, you know, just because I need to support them because they supported us and it's just, you know, I'll go there forever as long as they're in business. And, you know, I tell people to go there and just, you know, what they do and they've done like they just those stories, like you were saying, they do that for everybody, the people that, you know, can't afford what they, you know, don't have, you know, they, you know, make a note and you give what you can when you can. And, you know, it's, you know, something to help people when they're down and to help support the community. We need more of that. We need to help people just generally help people. So I think that's, you know, something we all need to do. And it's been great to see those kinds of stories um, in the news during this whole thing um, to hear stories of people reaching out and helping others, which has been great. I think I try and, you know, look for those stories too, because there's so much negativity out there, but I like to, to hear the positive things. I don't too. live in my neighborhood anymore, but mm -hmm. I purchase there. I could afford to, mm -hmm. I could go somewhere else and probably get it cheaper, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they are an integral part of the community. And people see, I, I know that one of the bigger stores, I can get three honey buns for a buck. But if I go to that little corn, that little store that's been a part of that neighborhood all of my life, I'll pay the dollar for one, then the three for a dollar for mm -hmm. another one. Because they support the community when others closed down mm -hmm. and left. They stayed. Mm -hmm. no, ma mm -hmm. no matter what happened, they stayed. Mm -hmm. they, for a long time, they were just a, just a little, little convenience store. But when all the grocery stores mm -hmm. moved out of the neighborhood. They brought in produce and they brought in meat so that the elderly population who couldn't get to those big stores could have fresh food. Mm. Because they lived in the neighborhood, they suffered the same plight as everybody else in the neighborhood. And that's what I think is missing. The people who provide the services now aren't a part of the neighborhood and they think they are above it. Mm -hmm. And so they look down mm -hmm. on the community that they're serving. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that happens in all areas it's happening in the in policing it happens in mm -hmm. health care mm -hmm. 
It happens in food mm -hmm. services. It happens in transportation services. And nobody seems to want to address the systemic problems, because if you could get rid of the systemic problems, the rest kind of takes care of itself. If you don't want, like I, I tell the biggest racist, if you don't want black people in your community, then give them what they need in theirs. And then they don't have to go nowhere. Mm -hmm. Most people don't want to leave their area anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is n nothing integral to living is available in those communities. At least not mm -hmm. healthy living. Mm -hmm. Anything that mm -hmm. can destroy their front and center you you see them on every corner. You'll see a, from one end of the block to the other end of a major thoroughfare, you will see at least 15 liquor stores in that community. Mm -hmm. If you go mm -hmm. that you go that same block, you're going to see fast food restaurants, just an abundance of them. But what you're not going to see is doctor's offices. What you're not going to see is major grocery stores that provide uh, healthy mm -hmm. choices. What you're not going to find is um, an optometrist. You're not, you maybe not find a dentist. You, you probably are not going to, you're not going to find anything that promotes healthy living, but you will find mm -hmm. everything built to destroy a community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I watched a policeman today just attack a young guy just they just standing outside and then you put that next mm. to the police mm -hmm. and what was happening on the steps of the courthouse and they were armed and I watched them throw this guy to the ground mm. punch him but there's no recourse for that. Mm -hmm. And then you can make excuses for the other. So those are that's another that is another major problem that we're having because even though these are the people who are providing the essential services, these are also the people who are getting harassed by the police when they catch them outside. Mhm, mm mhm. Mm I think, um, yeah, it's uh, so uh, interesting what, that you're saying the the separation of um, of services is a huge part of the problem. And yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, I think that. I see, I saw that terrible footage and just uh, there was another, you know, care worker who was getting harassed for just coming home late um, after working hospitals and uh, um, he was getting arrested because, you know, of course, the color of his skin. So, um, yeah, these are the kinds of things that, you know, people are that need to change, that need to change. It's. I want people to understand that across the world, there's almost 4 million cases of coronavirus and 255,000, almost 256,000 deaths. Right now, this is just, that's in total. 
currently affected is 2,214,000 plus. Serious to critical, 50,000. The projections are 200,000 cases a day by June and 135,000 deaths through the beginning of August. That's in the U.S. Wow. Mm-hmm. 70,000 have already died. And mm-hmm. 33% of those that have died, well, no, I'm wrong. 92% of those that have died are black. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you think about that, then it's very important that you take this stuff seriously. This is not the time Mm -hmm. to go have group parties. This is not the time to be in the park congregating. This is not time to chill with your friends Mm -hmm. on the front porch. This is not the time. This is the time you have to Take this seriously because once it hits your neighborhood, it will spread quickly. And there's been way too many deaths in our area for us not to be serious about this. Especially with the understanding that you're basically on your own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's an important message. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, getting that out there. I think people need to understand that as well, just, you know, to um, take it seriously that, um, yeah, do what you can to stay safe. And yeah, we're just going to have to uh, the the numbers are staggering. So, um, yeah, I hope people educate themselves, like you said, stay safe and, uh, you know, hopefully prevention. And in all honesty, read, mm-hmm. read, read up on the statistics and don't necessarily mm-hmm. take for granted I always go into the World Health Organization's website. And the reason I go into the World Mm -hmm. Health Organization's website is because they have no reason to be protective of America's feelings. Whereas the Mm -hmm. CDC is under direct control of our Mm -hmm. government. And sometimes what they can and can't say is censored as to what they put out to the public. Even with even when it came to vaccines, I never go with American statistics because we live in a Because we live in a capitalist society, money will always outweigh public health. It just will. Where it doesn't affect public health is health organizations outside the country because most of their medical, their medical care comes in Socially, socialist programs that are covers everybody. So they have less inclination to lie. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. their goal is to keep what they're paying low. Our goal is to get the most 
out of everybody. So it makes our biases lean more towards the healthcare industrial complex than it does the individual person. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. Absolutely. Great. I think I just want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today and for uh, all of your hard work on the front lines um, as a nurse. I can imagine, can't imagine just how difficult it is and how hard you're working. So thank you again for that and uh, taking the time to share your knowledge and um, yeah, just information. No, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure anytime. And just a, just a quick shout out to my No Knockoffs radio family. I am always grateful that Harlem Fresh created that platform in order to talk to our community in a way that is accessible to our community. It's why I love your show, because it's another way that you talk to our community in ways that they can take in the information and understand it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's very important um, that the information is getting out there. Um, yes. In ways that people are actually going to listen to it and absorb it. So that's great. We have, we don't have enough of that. So I am extremely grateful to have platforms opening up so that we can talk with each other and have an understanding that it's not about, it's not about making other races an enemy, but learning how to take care of our own communities in healthy, productive ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.